0: I'm not a person that would normally get up at five o'clock in the morning. In fact, I'm more than likely to actually stay up until five o'clock in the morning. But there are people out there that actually get up early enough to be on site taking pictures early in the morning and capturing iconic sunrises. Today, we're going to talk more about how to make a better sunrise photo on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. As always, this is the podcast where I try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the challenges and stories and issues that happen in between, some post-processing talk in there as well. I've got a great episode lined up for you today. Before we get into the guests, some housekeeping that I need to do. First of all, a quick reminder that the Creative Live discount is still available. Uh, Thank you to Kenna Klosterman for that. It's good until the end of May, May 31st. It's limited to the first 2,500 people, and it's one use per person, but anything in your creative live shopping cart, 20% off with the code TWIP20, so make sure you head and use that. Also, if you're not aware, Frederick Van Johnson, in the beginning of this year, relaunched This Week in Photo, the podcast and he is absolutely killing it that show in my opinion the network as a whole but that show in my opinion is the dictionary definition of what a photography podcast is and frederick van johnson in my opinion at least, is one of the best podcast hosts that are in in the business, let alone in the photography podcast space. So make sure you check that out. And a quick reminder about Twip Pro. If you're not a Twip Pro member, there's a free trial. Go to twippro.com and it's a great community of photographers. You can get critiques and ask questions and again, free trial. Go check it out. So That brings us to today's episode of Behind the Shot. And my guest today was actually a recommendation. He was suggested by a Behind the Shot viewer, Robert Ferdinand, and Robert, you've got a D and a T in there, so if I mispronounced your name, (laughs) Ferdinand, Ferdinand, I'm not sure, but Robert, thanks for the suggestion. And and Robert suggested that I get a landscape photographer on that he was very familiar with his work, so I'd like to, to welcome Brian Hansel to the show. Brian, how are you, buddy?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: It's my pleasure having you on the show. And, and when Robert suggested that I had you on, I went and I think Robert, if I'm not mistaken, lives in Michigan like you do, or Minnesota, I mean, like you do, and he, and he shoots the type of stuff you do and was very familiar with your work. So I went looking, right? And again, I'm not one to get up early in the morning and shoot these kinds of shots. I wish that I was. I'm just not as dedicated as some of you guys. Sure, yeah. But dude, really, some of your work, as somebody who's judged image competitions and just loves photography, right? I love all kinds of photography, even though I shoot weird stuff like concerts. Your work has everything in it that I want in a photograph. So let's, let's start here. Give the viewers an idea of who you are, what you do, you know, that type of thing, what you shoot.
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, Well, my name is Brian Hansel and I live in Grand Marais, Minnesota. Um, I'm a landscape photographer. Uh, Primarily, uh, most of the stuff that I shoot is in Minnesota, although I do do go to a lot of national parks. Um, And then the main way that I make my living right now is through fine art prints, but also through leading workshops. So I lead workshops all across the nation to different destinations at national parks and forests and things like that. You know, it's interesting because in in
0: researching you, I found out that before you got into landscape photography, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is what I read about you. You started before you got into the, you know, the fine art landscapes and the and the magazines and commercial work. You started as a real estate photographer. I did. Yeah. Explain to me uh, how you go from real estate to sunrises.
1: Yeah, well, um, the type of real estate I was doing was high-end real estate. So, in the community I live in is a vacation community, um, and I was shooting some pretty high-end, multi-million-dollar properties on the shore of Lake Superior, both in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So, a lot of those photo shoots would actually include sunrise, sunset, aerial shots. Um, uh, there were a lot of undeveloped properties too. So some of the last large tracts of undeveloped property I shot on Lake Superior for the, for a real estate agent. So. It,
0: it's interesting, yeah. but now that you've moved into real estate, you've made a mark, right? You've been uh, you you've been published and had credits in National Geographic. I've got a list here: Outdoor Photographer, Lake Superior Magazine, National Park Traveler, Ocean Paddler. Now that one's an interesting one to me. These next couple actually ocean paddler canoe roots, adventure kayak canoe and kayak magazine there's a theme there we're going to get into because of the shot that we're talking about and also backpacker magazine. so there's no question that that in this outdoor space you have you've made a dent as it were. Uh, do you yeah, ever okay. still do
1: real estate? i I don't I get requests every now and then um, but i but I haven't been doing any lately i don't i think probably seven years ago well right before the economy crashed was my last uh, real estate photography session because once the economy crashed, there was no real estate selling, so I decided I had to remake myself um, and uh, started doing the workshop thing well
0: it it's it's interesting because to me real estate is actually one of the done correctly, I should say. A lot of people shoot real estate, right? But but done correctly, real estate's very difficult to make sure your lines are true, to make sure that the lighting is right. Um, very, very difficult type of photography. And in some ways, I think light's light, right? So all photography translates into other worlds of photography. But what you've done in your landscape photography is fascinating. And so let's get into the photograph that I want to talk about today because this photograph you call it sunrise on cherokee
1: lake right yeah right so where was this shot so this is in the boundary waters canoe area wilderness um which is actually pretty close to my house and this is about two days in, or day day and a half into the boundary water so for the people that aren't familiar with the boundary waters it's a million acres of preserved wilderness in northern minnesota along the canadian border and it abuts against a provincial park. That's another couple million acres of wilderness. So it's uh, one of the last, uh, or or, or uh, one of the two designated wildernesses in the country um, uh, to canoeing. So when, den- when you dedicated. say day
0: day and a half in, you mean hike in? You had to,
1: or or, or riding the canoe in? Yeah, we canoed in. Um, so the first night uh, we paddled. I don't know. Uh, it was a, a short day, maybe five, six miles, camped, and then paddled the rest of the way the next day. So that's your canoe in the photo? Uh, Yep, yeah, well, um, so I work with North Star Canoe um, as one of their ambassadors, so technically it's one of the loaners that they give me, so they give me a new canoe every year. Hey, not a bad deal yeah, if you're into canoes, yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah. Give, give me some ideas on, on, on the technical end before we get into discussing the heart of this shot, right? So, what body was this shot with? What lens? What exposure?
1: Yeah, so this is shot on the Sony with A seven R two with the eighteen millimeter Batis lens. Um, so those are uh, when I'm going light uh, and canoeing. I like to bring the lighter l- equipment along. My primary system is actually a Nikon, but the Sony's uh, nice and small and fits into canoe pads quite a bit better. And then for for settings on the shot, it was f eleven and then one point six seconds, and then at ISO one hundred. And and that Zeiss lens that you're
0: talking about, the Zeiss Batis, it's a two point eight lens fixed at eighteen millimeter, right? Correct. Yeah. So when when you're shooting something like this, now I looked up the EXIF data on this, and assuming that it's that it's right, the EXIF data shows that this was shot at like six thirty ish in the morning, right? So again.
1: Yeah, that you're sounds way right.
0: back out there up 6 30 in the morning. I'm assuming this is a tripod shot. Yeah, it is a tripod shot. Okay. Uh, because 1.6 seconds would say it. But when you're shooting a shot like this, is this natural? Did you did you use filters?
1: Uh yep. So I used a Singray filter on this. So it's a, a neutral density graduated filter just to bring down the darkness of the sky. and, and it divides right in the middle? Yeah, so when you're looking at the shot that um, divides right in the middle along the horizon, you can kind of see where the hills come down to the water. Right, right. So the primary part of the the filter is is right there with just the dark part over the sky and then the clear part over the uh, the water and the canoe. So, okay, that, that explains a couple of things
0: actually to me. It, and I'm guessing that's how you kept the sun from blowing out. Yeah, yeah. So at that exposure i'm just thinking 1.6 seconds iso 100 2.8 at 6:30 in the morning this is to your eye this is a pretty dark scene
1: um yeah by this point uh the sun had it wasn't quite up but it was getting close to the horizon um so it's starting to get brighter out um you know they call that uh you know not quite the blue hour which would be 45 minutes before the sunrise um but you, you could probably squint and maybe read something off of a piece of paper uh, at this time. You just said
0: something I never thought about before. You have the blue hour, you have the golden hour, but you specifically said the blue hour is 45 minutes before. I didn't know that they were defined in times.
1: Yeah, Again, I don't shoot changes. outside, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it changes in time, though. So the interesting thing about the blue hour depends on the time of year and then where you are on the globe. Um, but so, so sometimes it might be like an hour before sunrise when, when it ends, or it might be 45 minutes. Sometimes it's even a half hour before, but it all depends on where you're at in the world. What does, again, I,
0: I want to really focus on making shot. This is an iconic sunrise image to me, and I'll, I'll get into why I think that in a minute. But if somebody's going out to shoot a sunrise over a lake, whatever... What advantages does it give them light-wise, a blue hour versus a golden hour versus, of course, you're not going to do high noon and get anything useful. But, you know,
1: why would you choose earlier, later? Uh, you get a uh, different look. So, um, when you're in the blue hour, what I like to do for outdoor shots, at least, is a, it's a great time to throw a tent up and light it because uh, you'll get a nice blue sky above you and um uh, maybe still a few stars and stuff like that. So it looks like night, but yet it's bright enough that you can get the details of the landscape. And then once you start moving past that blue hour towards the sunrise, that's when the colors start happening. So you start seeing the pinks and the the purples and, and all the different colors of sunrise. That then That make it
0: as rich great. as what you get basically in this picture. So here's the thing. Getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, which I do I'm when I'm on the radio, I'm uh, on at 7 a.m. I get up at 6 o'clock. Getting up and being actually active and having a camera already on a tripod at that point literally hurts my soul, hurts my brain. <laughs> but if you're going to do it, my gosh, this is how you do it. So this image to me, layout-wise, purely composition point of view, right? If you look at how it's structured, where the horizon line is, it, one of my favorite things of this shot is the path that the shoreline takes from the bottom left corner up to the lower third. You've got the canoe as a foreground and the far bank and the fog as as a a distant subject. Right. When yep. you're composing this in your head, I, I guess I should ask first: Was this out of camera? This crop. Uh, this is right out of camera. Yep. Yeah okay so when you're composing this in your head are you thinking about the angle of i mean because if you had walked to the right that shoreline would have gone across a rule of third instead of come up out of the bottom to a rule of third are you thinking of that are you thinking of where the canoe is compared to where those those the, the distant shore curves down to the sun how much trees you have left and right and by the way the water that's on the shore adds to this shot a ton right it takes away the just the dirt or whatever it is and gives it life
1: is that all that in your head as you're framing this uh yeah uh some of it's intuitive now so um i have actually a three method of composition that i like to use so so i do this thing called flow or uh, simplicity flow and relationships so the first thing I'm going to do is I simplify the scene as much as I possibly can. In this case, it's just the canoe, shoreline, sunrise, and then the trees on the side. And then the flow is uh, where your eyes go in the shot. So I pose the canoe at this angle so that your eye would start at the canoe and then work its way out to um, the horizon and, and where the sun is coming up. And then the relationships is just how the various parts of the image relate to each other. Um, so the foreground is connected to uh, the sky through the reflection of the clouds in the lake. And then the trees also um, rising up out of the foreground into the sky helps that relationship as well. Okay. That, that took you less than
0: a minute to say, but I have to say that's that's a lot of info, right? Yeah. You... you I mean, so many people would let that 30, 40 seconds go by as, oh, smart. There's a lot of info in that 30 to 40 seconds to unpack. You thought about the angle of the canoe, right? So you want any photography to be great. Don't just go out there and take a shot and go, this is the right angle, right? You make the shot. So you consciously position the, okay, did you position
1: the oars? Uh yeah, those those paddles are actually positioned specifically. So so before the shot happened, um at night we actually tie our canoes down to the to a tree and turn it upside down in case there's wind at night so it doesn't blow away so you're not trapped on an island in the middle of the lake. Which uh, would know, be bad. Which would be bad when you're a couple of days from the entry point. Um so actually I carried the canoe down from the campsite, put the put the paddles in there, uh posed the canoe in the direction I wanted. Um, And uh, about two hours before this shot, I'd actually done the same because the northern lights were out and I shot the northern lights uh, real, real close to where this canoe was as well. So, yeah, everything is positioned um, just to make this shot. Okay, which then brings in a couple of technical questions.
0: First of all, I guess the question would be the Zeiss lens. Is that thing like the Superman of lenses? This thing is so I zoomed in on the one you sent me. This thing is insanely tack sharp. And I looked up the price of this thing and it's only 1500 bucks.
1: It's a heck of a lens for the for the price. Um, and the other nice thing, it's surprisingly light. Like you hold it in your hands and and you can't believe that you can get a, an image this sharp out of a, such a light lens.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the image isn't, like I say, I mean, it is insanely tack sharp. And the dynamic range, right? Now I get it because you had that ND filter on there, that graduated ND. But I mentioned earlier from an image comp point of view, this image dynamic range wise has, you you have the full spectrum in here, zero to 255. You've got perfect blacks in the right spot. They're not muddied up and, and, and blocked out. The highlights, you manage to keep all the highlights in that sunrise because of the ND filter, but also because of the skill to A, know to use it, and, and B, know how to expose it, right? So from that point of view, the shot has absolutely everything. But there's two things that I've done before and failed. A is the fog. I've tried to photograph and actually keep fog in a scene before, and I have f- actually failed drastically especially to have it look so 3D real, right? A lot of times it looks noisy, it looks, how did you, is there a trick I guess is my question to capturing that kind of low on the ground
1: fog? Um, Well, you'll notice that you only see it in the dark areas of the image. So if you look at that image, um, there's the hills that come down and then the fog is like kind of within the reflections. There was actually that entire morning, the entire lake was fog, so there was fog over the entire surface. Uh, but you see it because it's juxtapositioned against that dark uh, reflection. So that's why it's popping out there. And then, you know, I do edit all my images. And uh, when I did this one in Lightroom, I came back in and, um, and uh, used a luminosity mask just to uh, uh, bring up the fog on the horizon there. Okay, that, that, makes, that makes a
0: lot of sense. So now look at the canoe. Did you use any artificial
1: light on this scene? I didn't, it was actually really amazing light right there. Um, so it, it uh, the interesting thing about this canoe is it has this thing called shoulder tumble home, which is where the uh, very top part of the canoe falls back in towards the center. And that part of the canoe, uh, I don't know, every time I've taken a picture of this canoe, it just uh, grabs the light. It, it can be even away from the primary light source and it's reflecting, it's amazing. It's and- like And now you know
0: exactly why I was asking, because the sun is way over there shining at us. And yet there is light on the left side of the canoe and inside the canoe on the right side of the canoe. And it, it it it's part of what I love about the image is because there's this this mismatch in the ambient light almost. And yet, then again, you've got the shore on the left is bright, but then it darkens over on one side. Just the way the light is dispersed is wonderful. But then that that brings us
1: to the position. It also didn't hurt that um, this is one of those sunrises that happens that's 360 degrees around you. Oh, okay. Um, So, you know, it's one of those rare, amazing sunrises where you could drop a camera and end up with a great picture. Well, and... (laughs) Oh, let's see what I got. So,
0: plus you've got the clouds, which are acting as a nice diffuser uh, to kind of spread that light around. But is this where you camped? And the reason I ask, I mentioned the shoreline. I mentioned the water. You didn't put the water on the shore, right? That was there. That was there. Okay. Your location is perfect because you've got trees on both sides, which adds some symmetry. However, on the left, it's a tree and a bush, whereas on the right, it's more rocky. Uh, you've got the angle of that shoreline, which to me is really the huge part of this image. That leading line of the shoreline intersecting with a pointing canoe. Is this where you stayed or did you choose this position? And when you chose it,
1: what goes through your head? Well, there's a little bit of both going on. So I have been back on this lake multiple times and I've actually stayed in this campsite before. And this happens to be one of the most scenic campsites that I've stayed at in the boundary water. So I knew what I was gonna get um uh when I showed up. The tent is actually probably about fifty yards behind where I would be standing for the shot. So it's um it's relatively close by. But yeah, I knew I knew that I was gonna have that nice uh, you know, rock foreground, the Canadian Shield foreground, plus the trees there. So You know, we were just crossing our fingers that we would get this campsite when we got to the lake. So when you get a shot like this back on the computer at home or
0: wherever you are in car ride, canoe ride back home, when you get a shot like this to do in post, you mentioned Lightroom a while ago, is that your primary go to for post?
1: Yeah, especially now that they added some luminosity tools to it. So in the past, I would start in Lightroom and then go to Photoshop if I needed to add any luminosity masking. But now Lightroom handles all that. Right, so in primarily- the in the latest update, actually. Yeah, in the latest update. And
0: it's funny because when that came out, I was actually really excited about it. And I, I have not fi- found myself using it yet. And I think it's because until you just mentioned it, I forgot it was there. Uh, oh, so, yeah,
1: it's kind of hidden.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to go revisit the new tools that are that are in the latest that that is if you're a CC member, right? Uh, and yeah, this is weird. this is Lightroom Classic. I don't believe those tools are in Lightroom CC, the the online version. It's the Lightroom no. Classic desktop version. So, just to be clear, so on a
1: shot like this one, what would have been done in post? Um, I'd have to look back to see exactly what was done in post, but generally speaking, on a sunrise like this. Um, uh, especially with like the Sony cameras, uh, there's so much dynamic range that that camera can capture that I typically bring the shadows up and that brings up a lot of the brightness in the foregrounds. The filter that I'm using here helps quite a bit with that foreground. So um, if, I, if I remember the, all of the processing correctly, I didn't have to do a whole lot. Sharpened it, um, brightened up the uh, foreground, added a little luminosity masks on the fog, and then probably actually it looks looks like I might have desaturated the horizon just a little bit. Really? Yeah. Yeah, cuz I can see um is that, you know, the one is thing that I why I'm was, getting such a kind of a
0: uh you know so so many people overcook saturation and and clarity. Is that why oh, it yeah.
1: feels so natural is because you brought the colors down? I think so in this case. I notice a lot of the times um uh, I'll bring the saturation down right on the horizon of my sunrises and sunsets. I just don't want to overdo it. I just, it's, it's so overdone out there that it's, uh, you know, for me, I want to be as close as I possibly can to what I saw out there. So when, when you mentioned that you would have sharpened it, obviously you shoot raw,
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Do you have standard sharpening settings? I'm sure you do it per image, but standard sharpening average amounts that you use?
1: Um, yeah, so in, in Lightroom, the settings would be maybe a, a 35, 40, somewhere in there, uh, 0.8. Um, and then on the masking, I'll actually take that masking and slide it over 50, 60, 70. So I'm just sharpening the outlines. The of very
0: edges. And at 0. 0.8, you're not sharpening very thick outlines either, because that's how wide the effect is going to be on those those particular edges. Interesting numbers. Uh, I, I don't know many people that stay down around... 40 but then again you're shooting this superman zeiss lens that that is seriously people if you could see this image in person zoomed in it is just even the reflection of the trees in the water is just absolutely fascinating to me and and again f11 you you got all the depth that you need so when you're doing post You mentioned you did a luminosity mask on the fog, which answers really my next question, which is, are you more of a guy to do global adjustments or are you more of a guy to do selective adjustments?
1: Um, It kind of depends on the image. So uh, I do a little bit of both. So there's a lot of dodging and burning going on. That was Um, my next question was, are you a dodger and burner? Oh yeah. Yep. So I learned in the black and white dark room. So, so, you know, the traditionally dodging and burning was something that we did on the in there, and uh, you know, just brought that right into Lightroom with me. So, so you dodge and burn, you end up with shots like. Do,
0: do, you may not know this. I should have warned you ahead of time. I was going to ask this. Do you know on this shot what you might have chosen to burn, dodge? Um, I mean, in guess, other words, you look at this shot. Yeah. What is it your head says? I wanna emphasize this so I'm going to bring it up or, or bring it down to, to lead the viewer's eyes. In a shot like this, what would you normally at least say, I need to lead the viewer's eye by attacking this area?
1: Yeah, yeah, so my my primary thing is within that um, simplicity flow relationship, when I come back into post, I'm always worried about the flow, so I'm using the dodging and the burning for the flow development. Um, so, uh, But I, I can look at this image and I, not exactly, I can't quite remember exactly what I dodged and burned, but I'm going to guess that I dodged on that bush. So the lower left hand, there's the, the, uh, the green bush that's standing okay, out. to make the green that pop. That looks like a dodge for sure, because I wanted to add a little bit more green to the image. Right. And it looks to me that I actually burned um, in the upper two corners to force your eyes down to the center, So because um, the trees look pretty dark in that, that upper corner. And then we just force the eyes down towards the sunrise would you have dodged and
0: burned to 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 really bring out that the the light areas on the canoe
1: um i could have i don't remember doing that um it was just one of those magical uh uh, mornings that but you know if i didn't it, it it probably would have been something i would have considered doing because when you dodge something it just makes it brighter and attracts your eyes to it and in that case that, you know, the canoe should be the standout feature in this image. Um, so dodging, you know, on the canoe would actually make it stand out.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. And and people's eyes tend to go to the brightest spot in an image or the, the most saturated colors in an image, which is part of the reason I think the ND filter and the fact that you may have desaturated that horizon line really help because then it, it prevents your eyes from going straight to the sunset, straight to that far shore. It starts on that canoe and as intended by the maker, takes you right through the image as as you wanted them to. So if somebody is looking at your sunrise images, and people, you got I'm gonna give out the website here in a minute. You gotta go check out check out his work because because Brian is amazing at, at what he shoots. If somebody wants to elevate that game, right? That that sunrise landscape type game. What would you, as a mentor to those people, tell them is the best, you know, one, two, or three steps to do, or seventeen? Um,
1: you know, uh, uh, one of the first things that that I like to tell people is when you show up on the scene, um, uh, try to simplify whatever you're seeing to the bare minimum that could represent that area. So, for example, in this shot. The bare minimum would be the horizon and the reflection in the lake. So we see the, the trees on the horizon, we have the sunrise, and then we have this, this bare minimum shot. And then ask yourself after that, what are you going to add to the image to make it feel like the location you're at? So in this case, um, you know, Canadian shield is, is typical. The boundary waters that kind of rock that you're seeing in the foreground. And then all of the campsites are typically framed in like trees. So you add that in and then add the canoe and you have your classic canoe at sunrise shot. Nice. Um, so that would be the first thing is, is simplify, simplify, um, and then add. So simplify and then add to the scene whatever you need to make it be um, uh, iconic for the area.
0: Okay. Now you also shoot, you know, out in the elements as in snow I mean, you live in Minnesota, right? You you get snow, right, yeah. yeah, boy, yeah, we you get it up here. snow. There's one thing I know: most people who, for the first time in their lives, go out to to photograph in those type of elements, and everybody panics. Do I need to put my lens in a baggie? Right? Do I do the camera in a baggie to prevent you know fogging up inside the camera? Do you do anything to your gear when I'm guessing this morning, looking at it, was cold? Do you do anything to your gear to to have it ready when
1: you go outside? Uh, typically that's not, not the issue. Um, you know, like the only issue for the weather would be bringing it from the cold environment back into a warm environment. Uh, so if I, if I would have brought my camera into the tent after this, it, it would have maybe potentially fogged up because it was, it was cold that morning. So it was probably in the mid thirties that morning. So once it gets acclimated, you're fine. Yeah, once it's acclimated, you're fine. Um, what I actually get asked a lot is how I, uh, keep my cameras dry while canoeing. So there's a a company called Watershed that actually makes a dry bag specifically for cameras. Uh, it was originally designed for the Navy SEALs, so it can be held underwater for long periods of time. Um, but it has kind of a Ziploc opening on the top. And then, um, it's easy to grab the gear in and out of the padded sack on the inside of it. Interesting. So, like any type of photography,
0: I mean, the right camera bag, the right strap, the right – when you're out here, you're shooting
1: on a tri- – what, what kind of tripod do you use? Um, you don't even want to know. It's laughable for this trip. So, so I have this old – Now, um, I really want to know. Yeah, I know. I wish I – I think it's a slick uh, – uh, I don't know. It's old. It's probably 20 years old, and it's beat up. I actually just replaced it with a travel tripod, a, a small carbon fiber travel tripod. So, if people want to find out more
0: about Brian Hansel, what is your website? So, my website is
1: www.brianhansel.com.
0: Okay, and you're on Twitter. What What are you on on Twitter? Uh, just at Brian Hansel. Okay, and you're the same on Instagram, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, and then you're also on Facebook. What's Facebook? Yep. So Facebook is, uh, uh, just Brian Hansel photography. Okay. So that way people can find you wherever they need to go and, and look you up, check out your website, check out your portfolio and, and, and kind of follow you more. Anything that you've got coming up, any workshops, anything like that?
1: Yeah. Um, so most of the workshops for this year are filled up. The fall ones are still open and I have two that, that, uh, that aren't open for registration yet, but Smoky Mountains is still open. Um, And then next year, we'll be doing um, Death Valley, uh, Teton, Smoky Mountain, uh, Badlands, maybe the Black Hills, and there might be um, one other thrown in there. Where can people find out about the workshops? So on my website, if they just go to the website, they can click on the workshop page, and that'll give the list of the workshops. So brianhansel.com.
0: BrianHansel.com. Get them everything they know. I appreciate your coming on and talking about your shot, man. I love this shot.
1: Thank you. appreciate it. This has been fun.
0: And, and again, thank you to Robert for recommending that I get Brian on. Absolutely wonderful. Really enjoyed having you on. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you drop by iTunes and, and drop us a review. You can find a blog post associated with this episode at thisweekinphoto.com and all the past episodes are there as well. Again, check out thisweekinphoto.com and make sure you check out the new revamped This Weekend Photo podcast with Frederick Van Johnson. Make sure that you check out Twip Pro. Until the next time I see you, my name is Steve Brazzle, the host of the Behind the Shot podcast, where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We will see you next time.